Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, if you're new tonight, I'm Father Brian, and we do this roughly every other month. Um, so thanks for coming out. And uh, if you're someone who's new to this, we really want to welcome you especially. Uh, the way this kind of works is I'm just going to talk for a little while because that's what priests do. And then we're just going to open it up for Q&A. And you can ask about anything. I won't promise I have the answer, but I'll do my best. And uh, yeah, so we'll get started. So tonight, just kind of jumping in what I thought we'd talk about. It's always funny coming to these events. I always think, you know, what, what, what topic should we dive into? And, and I just thought, well, we're so close to Lent. We should probably talk about, about something having to do with Lent. And, and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about, like, why do we give up stuff for Lent? Right? Every, every year you kind of get this anxiety. And there's, there's kind of different extremes. There's kind of the people who, you know, they don't know what to give up. And, and maybe they're doing it for the first time. There's the Catholics who are, like, super into it. And they have to be so creative. You know, and they're like, I don't know what they do. Because I don't do it. I'm like... I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'll give up chocolate again. Actually, I don't do that either. But so one story I just tell you: when I was in college, the uh, the first Lent I ever took seriously in my life, uh, I was a s- sophomore in college at CU, and I, for the first time, Amen. Too bad we're not any good anymore. But uh, for the first time, I was convicted. Wow, I should really like take Lent seriously. And so Ash Wednesday came, you know, and I'm like 20 years old, and I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm like supposed to like not eat meat today, and I'm supposed to fast. And I was in a Bible study with these guys who seem to like know about this stuff. And so we're all, we're men, we're like, we're going to be hardcore. So we all fasted on Ash Wednesday. But then after we went to the, we got in our ashes in an evening mass in Boulder, and afterwards we're like, well, let's go get some, um, they have like bean and cheese burritos at Taco Bell. And I ate like 18 bean and cheese burritos. And all the guys just were like staring at me and they're like, Brian, if the idea of fasting isn't like put all three meals into like that one meal, it's like actually eat less. But why do we do this? Why do we, why do we give stuff up for Lent? One of the key Catholic principles, and tonight we're just kind of like, what does the Catholic Church believe? So many of us, we grew up Catholic, if you're like me, and you, you kind of know all these things as a kid, but you never know the reasons why we do things the way we do. And you get in the habit of them, but then somebody challenges you, and they say, well, why do you do that? And you're like, I don't know. Father Brian said to do it. That's what we do. One of the key Catholic principles is that grace builds on nature. All right, so what is grace? Grace is the life of God inside your soul. That's all it is. It's really another word for the Holy Spirit. And so grace unites you to God. And as Catholics, we believe that if you're going to have that life of God inside of you, one of the essential prerequisites is to have a natural life, a humanity that's in order. So we believe as Catholics, we have this thing called human nature, which is like how, to, how a human being operates. Human nature is, are the things that make for, is the way God designed us so our nature works well. And what I want to kind of dive in tonight, into tonight is 
talking a little bit about that nature because it relates to why we do these things during Lent. Um, so Catholics believe two things about human beings, basically. The first thing is that we believe all human beings are good. When I was in seminary, the rector of the seminary always said that's the hardest Catholic doctrine to believe, is that all human beings are objectively good. He was like, isn't that like impossible to believe? But the church believes that. But we also believe all of us are pretty jacked up, right? Both at the same time. And the way I describe it to people who are thinking about becoming Catholic is it's like a car whose alignment is off. Right? Have you ever had like your alignment off in your car and you have to pull the whole time to keep it driving straight? That's essentially what the church believes about human nature, is that the car's still good. Right? If, you, if you have a car and the alignment's off, you wouldn't be like, wow, this car is a total piece of junk and I have to go just throw it away. You'd be like, no, the alignment's off and I have to correct the steering. And so the church believes human beings were good, but our desires are off a little bit. Does that make sense? This means yes. This means no. Okay. So our alignment's off a little bit. So why do we do penance? So St. Augustine says this, you have three parts to you. There's three, there's three parts of a human being, essentially. If you're, I'm sorry, I should say your soul. Your soul has three powers. You have an intellect, you have a will, and you have passions. Right? Your intellect is how you know things. Your will is how you choose things. And your passions are essentially movements of your soul. They could be desires. They could be feelings. It's when you, like, you're moved in a certain direction. So anger is a passion or... Um, fear is a passion or hunger. They're different things that, we, that move us to try to do things. So here's what the church believes. Why do you do penance? One of the guys I knew in seminary, who's a priest now, he always said, he was like, Larkin, do you ever feel like we do penance just so we can actually like be healthy and do the things we should want to do anyways? And I was like, yeah. You know, and like all the girls were like, yeah, like last Lent I lost eight pounds. It was awesome. Right? Like we're going on the Lent diet this year. There's some truth to that. Like, sometimes we just have to get our nature in order. So how does this work? Your intellect and your will are higher than your passions. And St. Augustine is what we'll rely on here. St. Augustine says it so beautifully. It's kind of obvious that the way things should work, and we pretend that things are this way. When you get in a debate with somebody about anything, Right? When, you talk, when you're in a disagreement with anybody, every one of us, you know what we pretend to do? You know, your, your friend or someone you don't know, whoever you're arguing with says, well, why do you think this is true? And what you try to convince them of is, well, I'm totally neutral and objective, and I just saw reality, I weighed the different options, and I chose this because I'm objective and neutral and really smart. And that's what you should do too. Cover your children's ears. Bullshit. <laughs> right? Nobody does that. None of us do that. What really happens? What really happens is like somebody you're discussing with, you decide before the conversation starts that you don't like them. And so you tune out everything they say, and then you use your intellect with all of its powers to try to prove him or her wrong just because you don't like them. Has anybody ever done that? Okay, four of us, good. 
Isn't that so normal? But St. Augustine says the way it should work is that opposite. The way it should work is that our minds should see what's true and our will, our power to choose, should say, wow, I saw that this is true, therefore I'm going to choose that. Right? And then our passions, our desires should follow. So Father Peter Musset is a friend of mine. He's a, he's a pastor at St. Thomas Aquinas in Boulder. And his example of this is awesome. He's like, he talks about how at home one night a couple years ago, he was watching some movie, and he had that like, like 36-pack of Oreos. Right? And he's like, he looks at the pack of Oreos, and he knows truthfully in his mind, I should have two Oreos. Right? He's like, that will be good for me. I'll have two Oreos. I don't exercise. Right? Uh, I don't eat very well, so I should just have two Oreos. And he fast forward an hour, and he's eaten all 36 <laughs> Oreos. And he's like, he talked about he had a stomach, day, stomach ache the next day. So what happened there? Our desire, his passion for the Oreos was what led him, and his mind justifies it. You know, he, and he, he has all these great excuses. He's like, well, I do have a full glass of milk, right? Like, it would be a really big waste to only do two Oreos. We do this all the time. And so here's what Augustine says. Augustine says that's a result of the fall. When the Catholic Church says that you and about, it talks about the fall of mankind, this is what it means. Is it means something's wrong inside of us, right? It means our desires run the show, when really what should is our minds. What should happen for us is if we see something true, we say, wow, that's true, and so therefore I'm going to follow that. Augustine says this is very fitting, by the way. And the reason he says that, he says, in the fall of mankind, what happened is man is a lower creature than God, and a, a creature rebelled against the higher being who is God. And so the punishment, the consequence of that was that now inside of us, our passions rebel against our higher powers. Right? This is what the fall is. This is what original sin means. So that's one consequence is that our, our, our passions rebel against our minds. Here's a second one. And it's, it's very related, is our willpower is weakened. All of us have had the experience of we know we should do something or not do something, but you're just not strong enough to say no or yes. Right? Like, like here's a simple example. Priests, one of the, the great sins of priests is jealousy and envy of other priests. I'm reading Dante still. If you were here last time, I was reading Dante last time. I'm behind, okay? Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> But when priests are, when Dante put priests in hell in the inferno, it's because they were envious of other priests. And it's insightful. Priests get that way. And so St. Thomas Aquinas defines envy as sorrow at another person's good. So I know when a brother priest succeeds, I know that we're on the same team. And, I sh and what I should happen, I should be like, praise God. Right? That's awesome. Like, this priest is doing really well. His church is growing. Programs are going well. What really happens? I hate you. <laughs> right? 
And I'm like, I just want to do better than the priest. I'm like, oh, man, how come he's doing well? Like, I'm way better than him. That's jacked up, right? Don't judge me. So this is why we do penance. Why, why, why is penance such a good thing? Penance is a good thing because if you want your passions to stop rebelling against your intellect and your will, you have to tell them who's boss. You have to subdue them. And most of us, right, the normal natural thing as a human being is just to say yes to yourself. Right? We do this all the time. You know, I wake up in the morning and I want my third cup of coffee. So what do I do? I get my third cup of coffee. All right, when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm thirsty, I drink. Whatever I want to do, I tend to do it. But sometimes what that ends up with is our desires run our lives. And so Lent, right, there's many more reasons we do this in Lent, but this is the one I wanted to focus on tonight. Um, Lent is so good for us. It's not about, like, losing 10 pounds or, you know, gaining just that one thing you want. It's really about growing in love for God. But grace builds on nature, And the healthier your human nature is, that's like a foundation for the spiritual life. And a well-balanced, healthy person, there's a great building block for God to send grace on to really make us saints. So anyway, this Lent, just just a challenge. This is why we do it. We don't just do it because it's like we're not earning our salvation. It's nothing like that. But God desires us to be healthy and ordered. And when we unite um, these penances to God, they can help our salvation, but they just make us healthy so that our intellect and our will have mastery over our passions. So anyway, that's, that's why you're going to do penance. You know, I know you're going to do it. I have suggestions if you want them, but I think we'll just close with that. And then um, if you're new tonight, what we do now is we just open it up for Q&A. It can be about anything. Um, and if there's not too many questions, we'll just wrap up and have a drink, meet some of your fellow Catholics or questioning Catholics, and uh, enjoy it because you have to give up alcohol and then starts. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah, great question. Can the single life be a vocation? And it kind of depends on how you define the terms, right? And I think, I think the biggest important distinction is that uh, vocation is a Latin word that means calling. Vocare in Latin is to call. And um, it's great to talk about vocation, but before that, there's an even more important category, and that's election. Does anybody know what the Latin word alexio means? Or did I hear it somewhere? No? To choose. Alexio means to choose. And what usually happens with vocations, I would say, Daniel, is like people think if they haven't found their vocation, they think that means that they are not important. Or there can be people who are single and they think, wow, I must not be as valuable as someone who's married or someone who's a priest or a sister. And that's just not true. So election is the first category. And election means that God has chosen you for eternal life. The New Testament tells us that God, um, 
God loves all men and desires for them to come to, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, so that's more important. And so I just want to say that. Now, can, uh, can a single life be a vocation? My personal take on this is yes, if. Now, you guys have heard me say this. We used to joke in seminary. Some of you, I, there's probably some ex-seminarians in here. In seminary, we used to joke of guys who were um, celibate by default, right? <laughs> it wasn't like you chose that. <laughs> I was like, I am not celibate by default. Like, I could get a date if I really wanted. <laughs> and, and we would laugh about that. But I think there's something to that. Like, if, if you find yourself, what was, I think what's important about vocation is that you have to give your life away somehow. Somehow you have to give your life away. Can you do that as a single person? Absolutely you can. But I would encourage you, if you feel that God's calling you to live as a single person, you have to give your life away somehow. You were not created to live for yourself. You were created to give your life for others and for God. And so you can do that as a married person. You can do that as a priest or a nun or a consecrated. You can do that as a single person. But I think at some point you have to choose that. That's what I would say. Some people would probably disagree with me about that, but that's my take on it. Yeah, that's not a, as far as I know, that is not a defined teaching of the church. Um, and so I could be wrong about that. There might, St. Thomas might have more to say on that. I'm just not sure. I'm sure he probably does. He's very smart. By the way, today is the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas, probably the most brilliant uh, person in Christianity after Jesus. Okay, other questions? Yeah, Matt. Great. Yeah. So he said, what, what is a good thing to do during Lent? So Matt's in RCIA. All right, everybody pray for him. He's thinking about becoming Catholic. Um, give us a percentage. Where are you at? 99. 99 and a half. All right. Um, so what's a good penance for Lent? Does anybody want to answer that, by the way? Okay, apparently not. <laughs> so the church would say, so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, you know, and the church asked for three things during Lent. What are they, Catholics? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so those three, where do those come from? They come from Matthew chapter 6. And you read Matthew 6, back to back to back, Jesus talks about those three. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, so I would encourage it in those three areas. Uh, if you don't know how to pray, you're never going to learn unless you try it. You have to have some consistency. So to commit to some type of prayer is one penance. Or it can be a positive thing. Um, fasting, right? You have to make room for God in your life. If you, don't, if you, ha if you constantly have TV on and the radio, uh, th I think that's one of my favorite fasts, by the way, is not about food. It's media. Turn your radio off in the car. In my community, you know, during the church asks us to fast every Friday through the year from something. And the Companions of Christ, we just agreed together that outside of Lent, that we would all fast from media on Fridays. So on Friday, I turn my radio off. I turn the TV off. Um, I only can use the internet if it's for work. Uh, 
I'm not allowed to just be like, you know, scrolling news sites. Um, so prayer, fasting, and almsgiving um, is, is huge. Like, so a lot of people, you'll save money during Lent, right? You're like, all right, I am giving up, you know, tequila for Lent. And you drink tequila every night. And so you're like, man, I saved like 80 bucks because um, you drink expensive tequila. And so some people, like, at the end of Lent, they're like, man, I'm 80 bucks in the black. That's awesome. The church says the money you save from your penance goes to the poor. And that's a beautiful thing. And the basic thought behind that is that before God, all of us are poor, every single one of us. And when we give to the poor, right, when we, if, some of, if you came to Mass at Lord's this Sunday, we talked about how in the Our Father, the Greek says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. That's what the Greek says. It doesn't say trespasses. It says debts. And when we ask God to forgive our sins, biblically, the idea is we're asking him to forgive a debt. And it's like a monetary thing. It's like, God, forgive my debt. And one of the ideas that the church has always had is that, okay, Brian, you know, God's like, Brian, you want me to forgive your debt? You're a total jerk. Well, what about that poor person who asked you to help them eat last week? You want me to hear you, to hear you, and you begged me for mercy. When that person was begging you, did you hear their cry? So those are the three areas I would encourage, is prayer, fasting of some kind, and almsgiving. Does everybody feel terrible about themselves now? Good. You all look, you're all like, I suck. <laughs> anybody else? Yeah. Order of what? Order of the soul. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So how, so if I heard you right, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, how do we, if, if there's those three parts of the soul, and I should say this clearly, the soul doesn't really have three parts, it has three powers. There's only one soul but it has different powers. How do we in the modern world kind of evangelize and get people to stop thinking what I desire is really what matters? Is that basically it? What I would say is, is people have to see it. They just have to see it, right? We always say, I think I've said it another point with a priest, that, um, you know, when I give a talk on, like, abortion, people who are pro-choice don't care. But when Mother Teresa does... And she did this in her life. Mother Teresa gave a, a talk on abortion at Harvard. And, and I, I guarantee that most of the audience was for abortion. Mother Teresa got a standing ovation. Why? Because they saw in her holiness. Right? And so I think, I think the world thinks, I was thinking about this today driving over here actually, like, did you ever think that saints are like really boring? Admit it. <laughs> I, I did, yeah. You always think, like, Chris Stefanik, if you know that, is he has this great line. He talks about how, like, um, the bias in the world is that saints, to be holy, yet to be kind of weird, right? And we've all met weird Catholics. You meet, you meet those, like, weird Catholics who, like, I always think of them as talking, like, in a very pious, soft voice, always. They're like, oh, I'm so happy the Broncos won. Peyton Manning's so sweet. 
you know? And Chris Stefanik has this great line. He says, weird Catholics were weird before they were Catholic, right? <laughs> they were weird before they were holy. I love that. Right? To, be ca- to be holy doesn't mean you have to be strange. And I think the world needs to know that. The world needs to see that being someone who loves God doesn't mean you have to be either strange or you have to be um, depressed or something. But I think when you see a Catholic who's just normal, relatable, loves God, and is happy, that's convicting. And so I, th- I really think that's it. Because people know, right? We've all been in our lives in that place where you followed your passions, and you wake up one morning, and you're just like, I hate my life. <laughs> I know another priest, I'll tell you, I know no- numerous priests who that moment, when they followed their passions and it all broke down, that was it, and they became priests after that. It was like this turning point. One priest I know, he was so drunk one night, he woke up the next morning and he couldn't brush his teeth because he had such a bad hangover. This was before he was a priest. <laughs> but he had such a bad hangover, he, like, he literally couldn't like, brush his teeth. And he st- put his toothbrush down and he was like, what am I doing with my life? And so that, people come to that. We all have experiences where we're like, wow, I thought I was going to be happy if I did X, Y, or Z. And they find out they're not. And then if they see a Catholic who's like, wow, they actually try to be disciplined. They're not perfect, but they try. And they seem happy. That's what I would say. Okay. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So, so if you didn't hear that, like, you know, our Constitution has a separation of church and state, and how do we as Catholics, it seems like there's not any political candidate that aligns with the Catholic faith, and so what do we do? You write in Archbishop Aquila. No, actually, that's, that's actually forbidden by canon law. Priests can't run for political office. Thank God. Um, a couple of things I would say about that. So, so two main points. This, we need to be thinking, right? Like, the world thinks that Christians are naive and they don't know how to think straight. Um, it's important we prove them wrong on that. The, the idea that there's a separation between church and state is a, is a philosophical, philosophical ideal of the Enlightenment movement of the 18th century. That's where that comes from. And the main point of it, a great thinker on this is N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright has some great talks on this. He's one of the leading, he is probably the leading scripture scholar in the world. He's an Anglican. And he says that the Enlightenment, what it, the main point of the Enlightenment was to kick heaven out of earth. You can be a Christian, but don't bring it into our discussion. And so that, that idea is problem. The separation of church and state, and I would, have, I would argue that the founders of this country, when they wrote that, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't have political ideas in the public square, or religious ideas. It means the government can't establish one religion. Um, but what do we do as Catholics? Uh, one thing I want to say first, Jesus was crucified as a political threat to Rome. The gospel is political. 
It just is. Politics made people uncomfortable. So did Jesus, right? People who are really easy and comfortable to be around don't get crucified, <laughs> right? It's true. That's the one thing that gives me comfort when I get hate mail. <laughs> so I'm like, Jesus, I'm just like you. <laughs> but this idea is not a Christian idea. The ancient world and the world Christ lived in knew nothing of the separation of church and state. Absolutely nothing. And most of the time when people tell us there's a separation, my experience of that, most of the time, there are exceptions, is it someone being a bully. Is someone saying, I don't care what you think, just shut up. And I always think that's a really bad argument. Right? Okay, so what do we do as Catholics? As Catholics, two points I would make to you in voting. One, are you an American, a Republican, and Democrat before you're a Catholic? That's, from Christian terms, that's a problem if you are. Like, how do you identify yourself? I think a lot of Christians identify themselves first politically and secondarily after Jesus. Um, that's the bedrock principle, is I am not a Democrat or Republican who happens to be Catholic. I am a Catholic who makes my decisions based on what Jesus Christ thinks. So that's huge. Second thing is we think in terms of principles. Not all truths are equal. And the bishops have said this over and over again. Not all truths are equal. The analogy I always use is a car, right? If you have a car, and you can say lots of true things. Your car should be clean. You should put oil in your car. One of those is a lot more important than the other, right? It's great if your car is clean, but if you don't put oil in it, you have a very expensive paperweight. There's a hierarchy of truths. So the church teaches many, many things, but some of them are more important than others. Life issues are more important than others because every other issue hinges on that. That's why the bishops are so big on pro-life issues. If you don't have a right to life, no other right matters. The greatest dignity that exists is the dignity of the human person. Immigration is hugely important. That's a hugely important issue. Abortion is a bigger issue because it's the foundation of all rights. And the other thing, if you heard me talk about this last week, um, there are, we've done, had 58 million abortions in the United States since Roe v. Wade. 58 million. This isn't like a small issue. So, so I think that, that, that in broad terms, that's what I would say. Are you a Republican, a Democrat, or are you a Christian? And then secondarily after that, when you look at the church's teachings, there's a hierarchy. They're not all on equal level. So I'll leave it at that. Okay, one more question, and then we're going to let you guys drink because Lent's coming. Nobody? Going once. Going twice. Okay. Oh, we got one. All right. Correct. Yeah. Great. So two-part question. The first question was, um, we are pro-life, and so what about death penalty, right? And why don't we hear about that as much? And, and the second part was, 
traditionally, you know, you do polls, more Catholics tend to be Democrats than Republicans. Um, so the way I would answer that is, yeah, and that's what I meant by you can't be a Republican or a Democrat first, right, is that Catholics stand against the death penalty. Uh, the, the church's stance against the death penalty is basically its stance on murder. It just says if it's self-defense for a society, you could do it. But the United States doesn't actually have a real need for self-defense because we can very legitimately put these people away and keep our society safe. So the, the church is very opposed to the death penalty um, on principle. One of the things I would say is the reason you hear more about abortion is for two reasons. The first reason is because, again, there's been 58 million abortions since Roe v. Wade started. I don't know how many death penalty sentences have been carried out in this country, but it, it's practically nothing in comparison to that. So that's the first reason. Um, but this is huge. Like, my parents, they're, they're pro-life, but they don't understand immigration. And they don't understand death penalty. They don't get those teachings. And I've tried to explain it to them. Um, immigration is a huge one. The church teaches that um, the goods of the earth essentially belong to all of us. Private property is a good thing, but only because we take care of it. But we shouldn't get too deep into that because that could be an hour talk. Um, but finally, why, why we see most Catholics doing this, I think it's because of the history of the United States. Traditionally, before the Democratic Party took a stance on abortion and made that a platform issue, they tended to line up much better with Catholic issues than Republicans did. Um, Catholics in this country also came, and they tended to be very poor. Right? You have a lot of Irish immigrants, German immigrants, uh, now a lot of immigrants from Latin America. And traditionally, I think, and I'm not an expert at this, but I think traditionally the Democratic Party has reached out more to working class and, and the poor. And most Catholics were that in the United States. And so traditionally, I think that's a big reason why it was that way. Um, so that's, I don't know if I have a lot better answer than that, but that's what I would say. So, okay, one more, and then I promise we're done. Yeah, uh, and that brings up a really good point. Thank you. The Pope protested, protested the death penalty was here in the U.S. Archbishop Chaput used to always say this. When people would challenge him, they'd say, why don't we hear from the bishops on these issues? He would always say, I speak about them all the time, and the media never picks them up. But he would say, when I talk about abortion or contraception or something like that, it gets all over the news. But he said, when I, when I preach on immigration and the death penalty and some of the other issues, he's like, it never, no one ever writes about it. Um, so I think that the church is saying those things, maybe not as strongly, but I think that it is. And sometimes we don't listen because it's not as controversial. So, okay, we're going to cut because um, I'm done. Panthers and Broncos. <sighs> do you want the truth or do you want me to be hopeful? It's 50-50. Have a good night. Get a drink. <laughs> thanks for coming, everybody. We'll see you. Uh, if you haven't been to Lourdes yet, check it out. But thanks for coming. Have a good night.